you. Good morning. Would you turn your Bibles to uh, Mark chapter 5 and just put your finger there? This happens a lot. Okay, never mind, just press it for me. Okay, great. All right, so um, not all of you know that uh, I used to attend City Harvest Church in uh, 2001, 2002, I think, before I uh, came to PPH. Um, I was there for, I think, about six months, and I attended the cell group, and um, um, I eventually left uh, for various reasons. But um, this is a personal connection for me that's made the events of the last couple of uh, months um, especially stark, especially something that disturbs me. And one of the things that I've been thinking about that I can't quite figure out is um, how do I deal with, how do I think about the faith of my friends, other members of uh, City Harvest Church? Because um, I, I'm conflicted about this. On one hand, you know, they believe the same things that we do about, you know, the triune God and about the scriptures and about the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, the work of Jesus on the cross, what happens at the end of days. All of these things, I see no variance with them, no difference with them. And yet, on the other hand, there are a bunch of other things where I, I would disagree quite strongly with the way that they view these things. Um, so how do I view their faith? And I, I know that the whole city harvest thing is a huge topic and it's really complicated and there are lots of moving parts. There's the there's the theology bit, there's the you know, their strategy for evangelism or what actually happened to the money and the trial and all of this. So it's complicated and I make no pretense of wanting to comment on all of those things. So I'm just confining myself to, to this one issue, a personal issue for me, which is how do I deal with the faith of members of CHC? And one of the things that bothers me, uh, click for me please, is that, okay, th this is a picture taken, I think, like 10 p.m. before the judgment was given on the 21st. And so these are people who have been steadfastly, you know, supporting uh, their pastor through the, um, uh, through the trial. And 10 p.m. the night before, you know, they've started, they're waiting for this. Um, and it seems almost like even with all of the information out in the media and the discussion, all of this, some of my friends, they're just immune to reality. It's like no matter what happens, they're certain that this is what they're going to, to, to believe and follow and support. And how, how, how do I react to that? Um, next slide. And so that's, that's, that, that's a question that I have in my mind. And um, the way that we're going to try and get back to this in a little while is going to, we're going to look at a sandwich. And the sandwich that we're going to look at is in uh, Mark chapter 5. And um, let me tell you why I'm calling it a sandwich. Uh, next slide. So this week and for a couple of weeks, uh, go back just to here. Just click when I tell you to click. Right. So um, this week and for the next couple of weeks, what's going to happen is um, we're going to look at a series of texts from the book of Mark, which some people call sandwiches. And so this is uh, Mark chapter 5, that's today's text, and then Mark chapter 6, 11, and 14. Uh, now click. Now why, why do we call them sandwiches? Okay, something's not working. Okay, tell you what, let me try with my clicker again. If I press any harder, this thing's going to break. Okay, so, uh, okay, you guys click. Okay, uh, yeah, stay there. 
Um, click one more time. Yeah, so why do we call them sandwiches? Um, and it's because in many of these texts, about nine of them that occur in the book of Mark, the same thing happens. And the thing that happens is first Mark tells, begins telling a story and then he kind of stops and then he tells a different story in between for about a paragraph and then suddenly he, keeps, he comes back to his first story again. Now, uh, click one more time. Now, why, why does he keep doing that? Why can't he just stick with one thing you know, say what he wants to and then go to the other thing, say what he wants to rather than go back and forth. It's like Paul Lim giving the announcements. You know, so why... Okay, you're going to remember that. So why does that happen? And Mark doesn't need to do this because what you find is that the same stories that Mark tells, sometimes Matthew or Luke, they tell the... Thank you. They tell the same story, but they unpack the sandwich. They tell story A straight, and then they tell story B straight. So why can't Mark just do this? And it's like he refuses. He says, no, 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 you can't do that. You have to read this story, and then this story, and then this story, because only when you read them together, you will begin to see something. You will begin to learn something that you can't see if you're going to read them apart. And so I'm going to look at one of those stories. Uh, Click, please. And right now, I want you to not look at your Bibles. What I'd like you to do, just for a couple of minutes, is to listen, because I'm going to read out from our text, um, and I'd like you to listen to it through. And what I'd like you to do, click, um, is spot the sandwich. See where it is that Paul tells, uh, no, sorry, not Paul, that Mark tells one story, moves to the other story, and then moves back to the first story. Okay, so here we go. So I'm reading out from the ESV. Um, This is Mark chapter 5, verse 21 onwards. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And Jesus went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about Jesus. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said to Jairus, Your daughter is dead. 
why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha, chumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Did you spot the sandwich? Um, Okay, you can look at your Bibles now, and I'm sure most of you have spotted it. So in the beginning is verse 21 to 24. Mark begins talking about the story of Jairus' request for his daughter. And then halfway through that, while they're on their way, the bleeding woman episode comes in, and that story is told to its end. And then back to Jairus. Now, why does Mark do this? I mean, what's the point of of interrupting the story and telling us about what happened and there's a way we can try and figure that out and but first what we've got to do is we've got to look at these two interlaced stories these two combined stories in the sandwich and ask what's similar about them what's different about them and what is it that connects the two of them and so first let's look at a couple of the similarities so both Jairus and the woman who is bleeding, they, they're in the same spot. They, they desperately need Jesus and nothing else can help them because for Jairus, it's my little daughter is at the point of death and later receives the news that she, she has died and no one else can do anything for him. And the bleeding woman, a discharge of blood for 12 years and she's spent all her money useless, seen lots of doctors useless and has been getting worse. And for her as well, just like Jairus, there's no one else who can help her. And only Jesus can do something. Only Jesus can do something. But what are the differences between them? And there are many more of these. Because you see Jairus, and he's one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and he sees Jesus and he falls at his feet. And at least four types of ways in which this is different from the bleeding woman, a woman who'd spent all that she had, comes up behind Jesus in the crowd and thinks, if I touch even his garments, I'll be made well. At least four differences. One is he's, he's, he's a ruler of the synagogue. He's, he's a VIP. He's a big guy. You know? He's someone that everybody knows. He's someone with a certain level of social prestige, whereas the woman, she's, she's a nobody. She's, she's just some woman. He's the ruler of the synagogue, of the kind of local congregation, the local church of the people of God. And so he's someone who's known and accepted and has got authority within. Think of it as like the church. Think of him as like an elder in the church. So he's someone with religious standing. Whereas the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years because of 
the Jewish ceremonial law, she was considered ceremonially unclean and she would be excluded from the synagogue, the temple, from the assembly of God's people. And so she's an outsider from God's people. Another difference is Jairus is, is named. You know, here is Jairus. And Mark writes down the name expecting the people who are going to read his gospel to know who this guy is. Whereas the bleeding woman, she's... Who is she? Is she a Sarah or a Martha or a Mary or a Rachel? Or what, what is her name? And for 2,000 years, nobody knows you know, what her name is. She's anonymous. Another difference, Jairus comes up, he knows what he needs, and he approaches Jesus face to face, and he falls at his feet and says, Jesus, I implore you, my daughter needs you. Come lay your hands, heal her. And you have got, on the other hand, you know, the woman who creeps up behind and reaches for the edge of his cloak because he, she doesn't dare to come up face to face with him. And finally, notice one other thing that's different. Um, if you look at what the woman says or the woman thinks to herself, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Now, if you were doing a Bible study with her, what would you say to her? Because I don't know about you, but it seems, does it not seem just a little theologically off to you? I mean, th this is akin to superstition, right? Okay, She's not approaching Jesus and asking or praying. She's like, okay, it doesn't matter about Jesus. If I just get hold of his clothes and I kind of touch it, there's like this special magic in it and that'll make me okay. And, and she goes and, and, and reaches for that, hoping that even without Jesus and anybody else knowing, she'll be able to get what she wants. And, and that's at least a little bit you know, awkward, a little bit far away from what we would consider um, you know, Christianity. And so these are some of the similarities and some of the differences. But what binds them together? What brings them together? First, in verse 34, as after the healing, when Jesus turns and looks at her, he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. And right after that, as Jairus receives the news of his daughter's death, and he begins to crumble beneath that, Jesus tells him, do not fear, only believe. But the same word that Jesus has used to talk of the bleeding woman's faith, he's now using to tell this man to believe. Just as she's told, he's told the bleeding woman, it is your faith that has healed you. He turns around and now tells this man, do not fear, only have faith. It's the same word used in Greek. And so what's the, what's the connection here? What is Mark trying to show us when he's showing Jairus? He's going to, he's going to bring Jesus to his, to his daughter. The bleeding woman comes and Jesus tells her that it's the faith that has healed her. And then Jesus tells Jairus, have faith, the same kind of faith. Jairus, the temple leader, the VIP, the big man, the rich guy, the one that everybody knows, the one with religious prestige, He's being called to have the same kind of faith that this bleeding, sick, poor, unclean, a little superstitious woman has. And that's what brings the two together. Have faith. Jairus, the VIP, is called, told by Jesus to have 
the same kind of faith shown by this nobody and that's that's something that you wouldn't read from either one of these stories but mark says eat the sandwich look at it together and that's what he has to say to us now what what does this mean for us what does this mean for you and me here and now and um what i want to do for for just a couple of minutes is i haven't ended the sermon i'm still going to continue talking as usual for uh for, for a good 10 15 minutes but i want to pause here and i want to get us to pray together for just a little while and what i want us to do is meditate on this this particular incident that mark has shown us this particular lesson that mark has shown us and i want you to meditate on this and pray that god will speak to you about what it means for us what what it means for you so would you pray with me for for just a minute O living God we we hear the words of Mark and uh, the, the word of Jesus through him to Jairus and to the bleeding woman um, we ask that you'd speak to us now show us what this would mean for us show us what this would mean in in my life in in our shared life for both the jerusalems and the and the bleeding women among us all of whom look to you jesus as our healer as our savior in jesus name I'm now going to share my reflections on on what that means on on its implications for us and I want to kind of make a quick kind of clear distinction here um so far I've kind of talked about what Mark has said and what Mark is trying to communicate to us about faith through that text and this far I can, I, I think I can be quite confident that this is what the word of God has to say to us but now what I'm sharing with you is 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 my reflections of what this means for us as a community of faith and uh, i i may be wrong and and you may disagree with me and if so uh tell me and if you persuade me i'll, I'll take you to coffee all right um so i'm going to talk of two implications but i've got a couple of examples within each of them about what this means for us when we read that jairus the vip is called to have the same kind of faith as as the bleeding woman um a nobody and the first is this the 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 lesson the implication that i draw from jairus's experience is this that we are to learn from the faith of lesser believers and and, and what do i mean by this um our community our society our our world ranks people in in according to a certain hierarchy you know there's the big people there's the little people there's the great people and the not so great people and uh we tend to import that into the church as well and for the most part the people who 
are in positions of prominence or teaching within the church are the same people who outside of the church happen to be in positions of prominence. And so there isn't really a lot of difference between the church and outside, and there's something wrong with that. Um, And there are a couple of places where I've seen that reversed, or I've seen reasons why that should be reversed. Um, so So Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, is told to learn from the faith of uh, the bleeding woman. Um, let me give you a couple of examples of that. Uh, the first, this is a photograph that I took um, like four days ago on the 12th of November. I, I just came back from East Timor. Uh, that's the reason why I'm a bit you know, skinnier and darker than I usually am. Uh, I was there for about two weeks. Um, this, is a, this is a ceremony that is performed in East Timor for one of the largest uh, public holidays in Timor. This is a memorial for the Santa Cruz massacre. Let me just give you a bit of background for this. So for many years, East Timor was under occupation of Indonesia, and nobody kind of knew about it. And then there were lots of human rights abuses. One of the biggest was something called the Santa Cruz massacre, during which about 250 young people um, you know, in their teens and their 20s uh, were shot dead by the Indonesian military. And that, because there happened to be some foreign journalists at that time, they videoed that, those videos got outside. This is in 1991. And that became one of these big turning points in the history of East Timor because it drew global attention to the abuses that were going on over there. And yet, year by year by year, it's memorialized within East Timor as a, as a time of great grief and suffering and loss of, of their children, of their, of their young people. And this is a, a, a memorial service that is being handled for that. And um, during this service, the, the local pastor, the, the, the priest, he was up there and he was speaking to them about these people who were carrying the wound of their children who had died in, in that massacre and was telling them about how these young people, um, they marched, they protested, they were nonviolent, and they gave up their lives because through their sacrifice, now we are free. And that is a picture of Jesus' willing greater sacrifice that brings our greater freedom. But what an amazing faith. What an amazing way to deal with with the grief of the loss of your children. Um, and the thing is this, for years now, you know, I've, I've been with, you know, uh, not at PPH, but with other teams sometimes in East Timor. There are, you know, little groups of people that come to Timor, you know, wanting to do a mission trip. And so we go out into a village, we gather these groups of people, some of whom are, are believers. And they're told, you know, Sunday school stories and how, you know, you should have faith even though bad things happen to you because, uh, you know, God is good and, and he'll take care of you. And there I am thinking, man, they know this stuff. Uh, if you would stop and listen to their story and how they deal with their grief, you would learn this lesson of faith that you're attempting to teach them. But why, why do we not do that? Why do our Singaporean teams generally not bother to try and learn from the faith of the Timorese believers? And in big part, it's because they don't speak English, and therefore we assume that they must be stupid, they must not know any of this stuff, they must be childish, and therefore we need to be the ones, we as the educated, rich Singaporean people, we need to be the ones who teach them. But within the community of faith, uh, sometimes it doesn't work that way. And if we would stop and listen, they may have much to teach us. So that's one reflection that just came to me a couple of days ago. Another one is um, 
similar to this of um, a couple of months ago, we gathered a group of people. We've got Winston and, and uh, two Joels and a bunch of other people. We taught guitar to uh, the members of the, Bangla, of the uh, Telugu congregation. Um, and while I was we were running the guitar classes for them, I would also attend some of their evening, uh, of their Sunday services as well. And I was doing that. Um, there's so much richness in their faith. Uh, one of those things that happened was... Um, uh, they had this baptism service, and after the baptism service, they're about to go back to their, uh, go back up to to the um, uh, to the hall to continue the service. And they all got together, and I'm sure I'm pronouncing this wrong, but they all shouted, "Yesu uh, Barajke Hai, Yesu Barajke Hai," or something like that. Okay, sorry, you know, if you guys understand Telugu, you'll probably correct me. But they said something like that, and I was wondering, what on earth does that mean? And so I asked one of these guys, "What, what does that mean?" And he said, oh, that's the same thing that we shout when a politician comes to our town. And I was like, that, that's weird. Why would you say that? Uh, and then somebody else told me, well, that's the same thing that the people in Jerusalem shouted to Jesus on Paul's Palm Sunday when he came in. And that makes sense. Uh, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, those words that we read, and it doesn't mean a lot to us, to the first century people in, in, in Jerusalem, it was a royal salute that you give to the political leader who comes to your country. And these guys knew it. These guys understood it because it connected with their own faith, with their own experience. And that's something that, man, now I want to learn Telugu because uh, how much am I missing from this? And yet, um, I don't know about you guys, but I know that me and a couple of other people, we've been invited to speak at you know, these other congregations. We, I get invited to speak at the, um, at the, for, at the foreign workers uh, congregation, at our, at our domestic helpers uh, congregation. And I wonder, when is the last time my cell group invited one of these guys to come and share their faith with us? When is the last time we got uh, the Telugu brothers to come and speak to us about what it means to, to be a new believer in Singapore and far from home? When is the last time we got our, our, our helpers um, to speak to us about their faith and, and what it means to them? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about teaching or, or scripture or, or theology. That, that's a different story. You know, I want, to, I want to be taught by people who know the scriptures. Um, I don't necessarily want to be taught by every individual here about the, the, the scriptures. But within the community of faith, if we're going to learn about what it means to follow Christ, what it means to suffer for him, what it means to make him real in our lives. There's no single big person, no single VIP who knows that better than you or you or you. And, and I want to learn from that and we, 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 I fear we don't do enough of that. Last example, and I'm on very thin ice right now. And I've, so, so I was thinking about the um, about the City Harvest guys who are out there waiting from 10 p.m. And there's all sorts of things that's wrong over here. I mean, I um, I wouldn't want them to teach me theology or Bible. I'd get a hernia just listening to it. But at the same time, you know, these guys are out there at 10 p.m. You know, waiting overnight to do this, and we can't get people to come on time for a 9 a.m. service. Um, we have something to learn from them, guys. Um, their faith may not be perfect, but if they're our brothers, um, 
we have something to learn from others in the community of faith. And so those are lessons to Jairus. And, and let, let me go to the second group of implications, the implica- implications that we can draw from the experience of the bleeding woman. And so to her, the story is, let the example of your faith instruct greater believers. And, and what do I mean by this? Um, it's her faith, it's her pistis, it's her belief in Christ, imperfect as it may have been, that is commended to the teacher of the synagogue. Now, what, what does that mean for us? And here's one implication that comes to mind for me, and that, that we've got cell groups, and um, one thing is not all of our cell groups are attended, and in part it's because I think people believe that you know, I get the teaching and the learning that I need from a Sunday service or from BSF or something else, and that's fine. I'm getting that. Why, why do I need to be in a cell group for? Guys, they need you. Um, if you're not attending one, you have a story of faith that needs to instruct them. Don't deprive us and, and them of it. Um, they need you. Not just the cell groups, but the younger people need you. I think that there's... Um, a reluctance to take on a, the role of a mentor or to help to lead younger people because there's a sense that, but I don't know the Bible really well or, or I've been a Christian for so many years and yet I'm, I'm, I'm not very fluent or articulate. I'm, I, I don't know all this cheem stuff. I can't do that, that pistis thing that, that you know, Raj did. So what, what, you know, what can I do to lead? Um, your faith, the history of your faith, the the walk that you've had for the last 10 years, 20 years, faithfully following Christ, that's worth something and that's worth sharing. And so share that with, with the younger people. Um, sh- share that with me and, and, with, and with us and people of my generation, of the, the young adults and of the youth. Um, don't, don't let that be lost. And a third implication, um, if the option of Becoming, joining a cell group or, or being a cell leader or, or mentoring other people is not available to you for whatever reason, you know, sickness or, or, you know, other commitments that you have or just inability to do so. And you know that you've been faithful for years and years and you're reaching the end of your life and that candle may well be flickering out at any time um, and you don't seem to have anything to show for it. You don't seem to have left a legacy of faith, because nobody can see you quietly walking after Christ. What, what you need to hear is that one day at the end of all days, you know, in the whole assembly of God's people, you know that bleeding woman whose name we don't know right now? We're going to know her name. Because she's going to be brought up. And the same way that Jesus showed her to Jairus, there's going to be pastors and teachers and preachers and Bible leaders and megachurch pastors and congregations that are going to see her faith and know her name and be instructed that this glorified Christ. And with her will be your quiet faith and your unseen faith and your hidden faith. Your faith matters. It's not forgotten. It's not lost. It's never in vain. You need to know this. This is my last slide, uh, and I'm ending here. Um, Jairus 
the leader, the VIP, is called to have the kind of faith of the nobody, of the unnamed bleeding woman. And that means for us, um, within the community of faith, let us learn from one another, from those who are lesser. And within the community of faith, your example matters to other people. The fundamental reason is because unlike everywhere else in the world, you and I, we're we're connected, we're one, we're assembled, not around us or our merits or, 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 or what we have, but all of us uniformly, we're looking to Christ. And because we're looking uniformly to Christ through our faith, we all have that to, to share with one another. Would you pray with me? God, we look to you. Um, Jesus, your, your work, your cross, your sacrifice for us, your drawing us into faith and you placing your spirit within us the sovereign work of the Father, choosing us and bringing us to Him. God, remember that this is the only reason um, any of us are, are here, not because of our individual merits or, or, or rank or anything that one may have over another. God, make that real to us. Plant that deep in us. Make that matter to us. And help that make us, move us to to recognize and, and love and celebrate the faith of others that are all around us and help us to learn from them. And God, grant us the, the boldness to say, this is my walk of faith and I will share and I will instruct this church through it. In Jesus' name. Service is over. See you next week.